0: The uh, Renewal RVA team asked me to say a couple of things but, um, uh, this morning just in light of the video and what uh, Ann shared with you. And so uh, on the uh, letter that I, I write every week in the bulletin, beginning at the second paragraph, I say this, Loving your neighbor enough to tell them who you really are and who Jesus is to you is risky because it's a way to love. And the weird thing about love is, is that love always demands a response and you and I cannot control the response of others when we love them. Now, you know, that, that I, that's not <laughs> that that bugs me, because I think, you know, if I love you, then you ought to do what I want you to do. Sound familiar? Um, nevertheless, it is precisely in those moments of costly risk that Jesus becomes most dear to us. And so this is a good question for you to think about uh, in terms of what's been shared this morning is, are you a bit cold spiritually? Does your life lack spiritual power? Right. Maybe you and I are grasping onto something other than Jesus and have become so risk averse. And it's certainly a risk to reveal uh, who your heart belongs to and who you are. Right. So, maybe you and I are grasping on something other than Jesus and have become so risk averse that faith means little to us. you can't tell me you have faith if you never take a risk. so count the cost, but take the risk. Um, our prayer is that through these little uh, tiny this tiny little church in Richmond, Virginia, with a handful of people who are willing to take the risk to love somebody, uh, uh, in their circle, uh, that people's lives, some people, a handful would be changed forever. Um, and that's, uh, that's really what we long to see. And secondly, um, I think for, uh, many of us, and we're going to talk about this in the sermon today that, uh, You are unwilling to lose, and because you are unwilling to lose, you don't gain anything. And I'll explain what I mean by that as uh, we look into uh, the text this morning. So in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll read to you Luke uh, chapter 14. Lord, we uh, come to you and we ask you to uh, bless uh, our weak and feeble efforts, and we confess that... uh, uh, you are the one who, uh, brings about growth. And so, uh, for those of us this morning who are convicted by our coldness and our hardness, for those of us this morning who, uh, well, are just kind of clueless about, uh, uh, the dynamic power, uh, that is the gospel, uh, that it's become, uh, um, wrote to us, that it's become common to us, uh, that you would compel us by your love to love. So help us, Jesus, we thank you today for this text we're going to read where you uh, challenge uh, your followers and us uh, about loss. And I pray that you would help us today to count the cost, uh, to count what is lost for what is gained. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, the text is in the bulletin also behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. so Jesus is getting at some pretty hard words here right i mean uh the, when he, he he did you notice how many times he repeated in this text, "You cannot be my disciple I mean that is very direct, very challenging words, right. Um and so what we what we need to unpack a little bit this morning is what is he talking about about losing? What is it that that he means when he says to count the cost of these things? And what does he mean when he says to us that in many way, in, in re, we we need to be willing to lose those things that we love to gain the greater thing. Right? I think that loss is a hard thing for us because I think most of us spend most of our time and energy Hedging ourselves against loss putting ourselves in a position to where that if we lose one thing uh it won't destroy us or or to limit the effect that loss might have on us. And so we spend all a lot of our time and energy doing that, right? We spend a lot of our our, our resources, we spend a lot of this is to kind of mitigate loss, to keep loss at a minimum. Because you know we what we have is so very dear to us. And whether it's a relationship or a boat or a house or a vacation or a relationship or whatever that we will spin our wheels over and over and over again uh, to, to maintain those things, uh, to hold on to them. And I think that one of the problems for many of us is that uh, loss uh, uh, is uh, we don't have a kind of a biblical view of loss uh, because we haven't lost enough to really understand what's involved in losing. Or maybe we've lost something and it was so painful uh, that we are going to spend the rest of our time and energy making sure we never lose that. My parents uh, grew up in grinding poverty, losing both their parents, uh, both their mothers when they were very young uh, and uh, struggling mightily uh, as uh, kids when they were growing up. Uh, and they continued to be very aware of loss throughout their adult lives. And so when we were, uh, after they died and we were cleaning out uh, uh, the house, uh, Marty came to me one day and said, you know, uh, this is a little weird, so bear with me. Uh, she said, you know, uh, your mother's underwear, which you never want to hear those words together, <laughs> uh, you're... Is so old. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, they haven't made underwear like that since the 70s. Well, the reason why she was still wearing stuff that was 40 years old is because though they had a clothes dryer, she didn't want to use it because her belief was that it wore things out. And so she always used a clothesline. So stuff that she bought in the 70s, she's still wearing to the day she died. So they were like that. So one day uh, when the boys were little, we were out uh, uh, on some pilings out in the Intracoastal waterway uh, fishing. Uh, one was six and one was eight. And my dad was out there with me and he had brought all this fishing stuff. My dad loved to fish and he wanted the boys to fish with him. And so we're standing out there. I am with my younger son and my dad's with my older son on another piling. We're about uh, 10 feet apart and uh, it's a beautiful day. And, uh, uh, my older son snags a fish, and he's reeling it in. And about the same time, my younger son snags a fish, and he's reeling it in. So I am helping my son with his fish. My dad is helping my other son with his fish. As my younger son is reeling his fish in, it comes up out of the water, and it's there on the end of the rod, and it's flapping around, and it smacks him in the face. And he just throws the rod in the water. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, i got to buy dad a you know, $25 fishing rod. So I turn my back over here to, you know, cause that's what you do when your kid does something really terrible. You just turn away so you don't have to see it. And I'm helping my older son and I hear a splash and I turn around. My dad's not there. He dove in the water. And 10 seconds later, he comes up out of the water with the fishing pole fish still on the hook. Now, he was 70 years old when he did that. And so I'm like, well, I guess he didn't want to lose that fishing pole, huh? I mean, that, you know, it's just a $20 kid's fishing pole. What, really, Give, you know? And it made such an impact on the boys. They were like, wow, do you see Papa? Yikes, you know, that's scary that he just, you know, what if that water was only two feet deep? What if, you know... What if there was a shark in there? What if whatever was in there, right? Didn't care. He went and got the fishing pole. I, I think that's a, 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 a pretty good picture to us of those things that we hold dear. And I want you to know this morning that I love my life. It's dear to me. I love it. Uh, I, I love so much about, uh, this life. As I'm sure you do, too. And it's true of us, particularly those of us who live a, per, a particularly comfortable lifestyle, that we spend a lot of time making sure that we don't lose things. But I'm here to tell you. I want you to understand this. You and I will lose everything. OK. We will. Um, and and I don't say that to be harsh or mean. I don't say that to be uh, morose. I actually say that for your joy. And you'll see as we unpack this text today uh, how there's great joy and freedom and coming to grips with that. So let's look. Let's look at the text. I did go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So the first thing to note about this is, is something that really doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So what preacher, what pastor, what rabbi purposefully goes about to get a big crowd Right. And he turns to them and says something so discouraging. Right. He's got a big crowd. Great crowds are following. And Jesus turns and looks at them and says, hey, if you don't hate your parents or your kids or your spouse or your own life or all your stuff, if you're not ready to lose all of that, if you don't care about you know, if you if you if you care about those things, the truth is you cannot be my disciple. What a bitter pill. Right. I mean, who says that? Right. Because because what 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 we tend to think is and what the gospel is for us is, is that, you know, we um, that Jesus receives and just takes everybody, doesn't he, that he welcomes everyone? Well, he certainly does. But the fact of the matter is the love of Jesus Christ for us, the work that he has done for us, the the thing that the gospel is for us is so demanding Uh, we can't bear the weight sometimes to think about how demanding it is. One of the weaknesses in our, in in the, in the Big C church in America today is the fact that we don't understand this. That we are afraid to say to people, you're going to lose everything and you must lose everything to gain what Jesus has for you is is such a high bar that what we have traded for that is a gospel of niceness, a gospel of performance, a gospel of social respectability. And so if you'll just be these things Everything will be okay, And we put a little gloss of religion over that, a little gloss of Jesus over that. We have some God talk on top of that and everything's going to be okay. But what Jesus says is, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple. Nothing in this world, no relationship, no body, no thing. Can matter as much as I do. Now, now that's when he says you've got to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, all those kinds of things. He doesn't mean that you actually hate them. What he's making is a comparison. So compared to the love that you have for the thing or the person you love most, what Jesus is saying is his hold on you, his love for you has to be greater, more significant than that. Now. Now. That is a mind boggling thing, because Jesus tells us to love our our spouses. Jesus tells us to love our children. Jesus tells us to love our neighbor, doesn't he? All of those things are things that are, are very true. But in comparison to what it is that he is to us, those things have to pale in comparison. And it has to be as if we hate them, right? Compared to the depth of the love that he has. So you need to ask the question, how do I know if I love someone or something else more than Jesus? Well, I'm here to tell you a couple of ways that you can figure that out. First, first thing off, let me tell you, you do. (laughs) Okay, there's trust me. There are things in your life that at some point or time or another, you have loved them more than you love Jesus. Your reputation, your children's reputation, your 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 money, your health, your uh, able bodied self. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, you know a, a person, a relationship, something like that, all, all of those things. And Jesus knows that about you. He understands it. That's why he says this to these people who are following after him. Right. So so the fact is. Let's just go ahead and clear the air with that. That's true of you. You do that, right? I do that. But secondly, then, how can I tell and how can I get at the, the, the reality that I might love something more than him? How how do I know that? Well, one thing certainly for sure about that is is to think about what you would do if you lost it. That doesn't mean you can't grieve a loss. You should grieve a loss. But, but what does it mean to be that if you lost something, you couldn't go on? Or if you lost something, you know, life would be impossible for you, right? And maybe, maybe one of the, the, the things that you could say about whether you uh, um, love something else too much is how much time and energy do you spend on protecting yourself? Right. So the fact of the matter is, this is the problem of the human heart. This is why for for many of us, uh, spiritual, our spiritual lives are so cold and so deadly is because these other things matter more to us than, than who Jesus is or what he has done. Right. And that's that's a tough place to be. And, and when when Jesus is so harsh and so direct, you cannot be my disciple. That is as those are profound words, aren't they? So Jesus says, then, you know, that you have to take up this cross, right? Uh, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we hear those words and we we think of the cross as a very pleasant uh, and a very positive image, right? I, I, we might have even used the cross, a picture of the cross in the uh, the video, right? Because that's, uh, for us, that's something in, in which we find a lot of beauty. But to this audience, what Jesus is saying is, no, no, what you need to take up is shameful rejection, mocking death. The death that's reserved for the worst, the exposure that's that's due uh, to those enemies and those people that are less than people, the ones who hang naked on a cross in front of a crowd to be mocked and scorned and made a public spectacle. Right. And so what Jesus is saying here is something that's really kind of startling, right? That that this might be what he might call you to do. This might be what he might call you to be. This this might be the thing that uh, he uh, says to you that I came to you. I lived your life. I died your death. I've done this work on your behalf. And, and now as he does that, this is what life is going to look like, right? No wonder, no wonder, you know that, that the 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 crowd can't believe this. The disciples can't believe it. It just seems so crazily radical, right? But the fact is, Jesus's words to you and I, and to that crowd, is the most loving thing he can say. Let me say that again. To Help us come to grips with life. Jesus must help us come to grips with death, right because what is the cross but an instrument of death right now now, maybe it 's not physical death someday it will be, but maybe it's it 's death to your reputation, maybe it 's death to your comfort, maybe it 's death to your health, maybe. Maybe it's any number of those things, but the, but the fact is, the, the the reality of that is, by Jesus coming and telling us this, he is giving us the pathway to joy and the pathway to freedom. Because you see, when when these things no longer ma- matter to me so much, when, when I can't imagine my life without X, Y, or Z, when that becomes less dear to me because I see them in their proper perspective, I understand that I died with Jesus, I rose again with Jesus, and because because of that, because of my union with him, because I belong to him, the, I'm set free from having to hold on to to protect and to to tightly grasp all of these other things. Right. And so, frankly, for us, for me and for you, one of the reasons why we have so little joy, one of the reasons why we have so little uh, uh, um, what might make us attractive uh, to others is because there are too there are too many things, too many people that are dear to us that we can't imagine letting go. And in fact, if push were to come to shove, we might even be in a situation where I would choose my comfort. Over who Jesus could be for me, right? But when we realize that we're going to lose everything and we realize that we count all of these things for loss and we realize the great gain that there is in Jesus and the fact that the sooner we come to grips with the fact that we're going to lose everything and that Jesus has gained everything for us, that's the pathway to joy. That's the pathway to freedom. And it's a it's a pretty powerful thing when 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 we come to grips with that. I want you to see this next quote. This is from Robert Farrah Capon. He says, think about what Jesus is actually saying. On the one hand, it is terrifying and unreasonable. In order to gain salvation, life and reconciliation, you have to lose every amenity. And I like that word amenity, you know, because I realized that my life really is a search for amenities. You know, what amenities are, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about where, where's the amenities in this? Where's the comfortable stuff? You know, where's where's the people that are going to make me feel better and feed me and take care of me? And uh, where's the pool boy? Right. You know, you know what a pool boy is. He's that guy that runs around and asks you if you need anything when you're laying at the pool. Right. (laughs) I, I want my life to be filled with pool boys. You know, on beautiful 83 degree days. Yeah. Right. So I might have to lose some of that. Right. Every amenity, every relationship, every last scrap of the good life you might have. And isn't it funny that that's how we describe the good life? Right? The good life is, is comfortable. The good life is pain free. The good life is, is never, never having too many difficulties, right? And, uh, so you might have to lose this. In short, you have to be dead. On the other hand, the deal is a bargain to end all bargains. Sooner or later, you're going to have to lose all those things anyway, willy-nilly. And, and, and the way we tend to lose them is bit by bit. And if you don't believe that, just get older. Okay, The death that is your wherewithal for buying a new world is already in the bank. And that's the joy here is recognizing I count these things loss because Jesus lost everything for me. I count these things as loss because what Jesus has done for me and what he gives to me is so much more profound, so much heavier, so much more glorious, worth so much more than the amenities. But I am drawn, I will worship, and believe it or not, I might even sell my soul for an amenity. Because it's so dear, and I can't imagine my life without it. You see, that's the thing about the gospel, that the secret to, to life is coming to grips with death. That's why when when the New Testament speaks to us about love, that's why when the New Testament wants us to understand what it is that Jesus has done for us, we talk about the cross because the cross is the most profound. The death of Jesus Christ for us is the most profound uh, picture of love we can ever imagine that this Jesus loved us enough to die for us. He gave up everything. And so we reflect that. And our own hearts and lives, as we see that as the most profound gift ever, and that changes us, that makes us joyful, even in the face of loss. Yes, you may grieve some losses, and yes, you should grieve some losses, but we are not completely undone. Because of the gain that we have and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Next slide. So. What you have to see about this text is, too, that is so crazy, is Jesus ends this text by saying, right? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And then the very next word he says is salt is good. That's a terrible transition. Okay, I thought we were talking about that. We were talking about discipleship over here. Now you said something. Salt is good. What? What does that have to do with anything? Right. So he goes on to say, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. Right. So how does salt go with the words about counting the cost? Right. Well, um, I have high blood pressure. And one of the things you have to do when when you don't when you have high blood pressure is you can't eat salt. And you know what? Talk about loss. <laughs> you know, and it's not that salt is so good, but it makes everything else so good. If you don't believe that, eat an unsalted potato chip. You know, it's just not it's a it's OK. You know, it is fried. It's fried. It is a potato, but without the salt, it's just kind of meh, right? So the taste, zip, and zing that the church at its best can give to the world is the joy and freedom of losing everything to gain everything. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here that I think is uh, uh, oh, uh, that it's just, it's just really challenging and, and really difficult for us to come to grips with, and probably for many of you, you you would reject this and be terrified by this. But one of the reasons why we are ineffective and one of the reasons why uh, the church uh, has lost its impact in this culture is our unwillingness to suffer martyrdom. Now, you know, what a terrible word. What an awful thing to think about. But the New Testament church was powerful and dynamic and they were joyfully attractive to the world around them for a whole lot of reasons. But one of the reasons why they were joyfully attractive to the world around them was they were willing to lose everything. Because they'd already lost it and gained more in what Christ has done for them. You miss joy in your life. You know why? Because fame, success, ease, comfort, financial, uh, comfortability, reputation, matters more. And you'll do anything to hold on to that. And so until, until you die to that, until that dies to you, There will always be a threat to our joy, but freedom comes when I'm dead to those things. Not because that I can't enjoy them, but I'm not so attached to them that that becomes my identity. So next, next slide. So you hear this and you think, well, maybe the gospel's a tragedy. The gospel is not a tragedy. The tragedy is not seeing how loss is gained. The gospel's a comedy. What? <laughs> the gospel's a comedy. We laugh. We have joy because we've lost it. We've lost it all. It's all gone so that we gain it all because Jesus lost his life, lost his status, lost his place so that you and I could be set free so that you and I Could count everything but loss except him. And because we have him, everything is gain. Uh, Some of you uh, are families with kids who are uh, seniors in high school this year. Uh, A wonderful, terrible time of life. Right? Uh, It's wonderful because you see these, these, these kids growing into adults. And you, uh, it's, it's so wonderful and you get to see all these great things that happen to seniors. It's wonderful. Uh, you're scared to death that they're going to leave in a year and what's that's going to be like? So you don't think about that. And then, uh, but you get caught up and bound up in the fact that, um, where they go to school next year, what they do next year, that that becomes so dear to you, and and it, and it and it may be that you have a tiny little dream for your kid. Maybe you have a big dream for your kid, right? Uh, the private school that my boys went to, uh, we always laugh because they would they print the. <laughs> this is so funny. I think it's funny. I have a sixth sense of humor, but they they print what the senior class is going to do the next year in the summer. And, you know, it's UVA, Virginia Tech, Christopher Newport, you know, all those kinds of things. My favorite is Steve Shelby pursuing other interests. (laughs) Because I see that and I think about that family and those parents. And I think that sounds like you just died. Because your kid didn't get into tech or u v a or j Sarge they're pursuing other interests. you know what pursuing other interests sounds pretty good to me frankly i mean i I have to admit if my kids were pursuing other interests I, I don't know especially well if they were pursuing them in somebody else's house, it might even be better but i one of the things that I think is is profound about that is you know, could you live with that? Can you live with not getting that promotion? Can you live with not getting that contract? Can, can you live with loving someone and them rejecting you? Can you live with the loss of a dream? Can you live with that? Well, Jesus one day said that uh, um, the man, a man went out to a field and he's plowing in it and he's digging and he finds a pearl of great price. And he takes everything he has, has an estate sale, sells every single thing he has to get that pearl. Do you think he was laughing? Do you think he did that joyfully? Sell your reputation. Sell your comfort. Sell your life. Because the pearls worth more. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In my kingdom, let's confess our sins together. Lord God Almighty, your understanding is unsearchable and infinite. Your arm cannot be stayed. Holy is your wisdom, power, mercy, ways, works. How can I stand before you with my numberless offenses? I have often loved darkness, observed lying vanities, forsaken your given mercies. Trampled underfoot your beloved son, mocked your providences, flattered you with my lips, broken your covenant. It is only in light of your compassion that I am not consumed at the cross. May I contemplate the evil of sin and abhor it. May I look on him whom I pierced as one slain for me and by me. May I never despise his death by fearing its efficacy for my salvation. And whatever cross I am required to bear, let me see Jesus suffering mine. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name. And he gave it to his disciples. Paul writes. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, why would we proclaim the Lord's death? Well, certainly because it means full atonement for our sins. All your believer, all your sins have been washed away. That's certainly true. But it's also to strengthen us for the ongoing life of death that following Jesus is. We understand that Jesus Christ died for us, lost it all, so that... Uh, we in him would gain it all. And so we remember the Lord's death until he comes. We remember the Lord's death until he comes. Because by remembering his death, I am sobered up to the joyful reality of what life really is, what death really is, and what hope really is. And this is a way that God gives to us to hold in our hands, to taste with our mouths the reality Of his death for us. Our death is coming. Our death is ongoing. But one day we gain it all. Because Jesus did that for us. If that's your hope. Even if it's dim sometimes. Even if it's hard for you sometimes to lay hold of that. Even if you have to repent every day of loving other things or other people more than Jesus. But your hope is that Jesus Christ, by dying for you, has gained it all for you. And that you cry out to him to help you to die to all of these things that you want to live to. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He says today, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Jesus has set you free. Live in that freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Live in the freedom of knowing loss. That's the comedy that's the joy. That's the laughter that Jesus gives to us today. So uh, as the elders and deacons come down front uh, this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the um, outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice and all the bread is gluten free.